So Pastor Mary will be back next week to give week two of this series, but today I am going to kick off a series on living with no regrets. Anybody got any regrets in the room? Or is that that other person that has regrets? I like that. Not as many hands going up. I tried to tell my daughter, she's like, what are you preaching, dad? She's 11. Goodness. 12. Tomorrow. 12 tomorrow. Goodness gracious. Help me, Jesus. But she said, what are you preaching on? I said, regret. And uh, she said, what are your regrets? I was like, honestly, I don't have any. She's like, come on, dad. Don't you wish you would have done some things differently? I was like, okay, you got me. Yeah, there's some things I wish I would have done differently. Um, One of the big ones for me, I think, regret-wise, is uh, stupid financial decisions. Anybody with me on that one? Has anybody made some stupid financial decisions in the room? Some of you aren't breathing out there because you didn't raise your hand. I mean, why do we do things like that, right? That Like stupid financial decisions that like, they, they don't just go away, do they? Like they take years usually to work your way out of those kind of things. We're still working our way out of some of those things. You know what I mean? But why do we do certain things? Like why, why? Why when we were young and married and childless, walking through the mall before Christmas, strolled into Banana Republic, that's where you should go when you don't have any money. We walked in there and looked at all the pretty things. And we were together. This is my wife on the front row here. And uh, we decided that we, we deserved a good Christmas. So we just got that Banana Republic credit card and put $700 on it. But we looked good. I mean, why, why, why do we do things... Like there was a car. I mean, it wasn't like exorbitant, but maybe a little more than we should have paid at the time. And I mean, we couldn't have known that it was going to be a a lemon, literally the bane of our existence. But why did we buy that car and then pay for it after it broke down and we were rid of it? We were still paying for it. You know, why, why were those trips to the beach? That we didn't have money for trips to the beach, but we deserved. Does anybody else feel like this past week, you deserved the beach and you weren't there? Can I get an amen? Yeah. But why do we do those things? Like why? Because in the moment, we don't know we're going to regret it, right? In the moment, why do we do that? Well, because we wanted to, because it felt good. But I'm convinced that most of the time, for most of us with a conscience, um, most of us have convinced ourselves that it is the right decision or the best decision at the moment, right? Like we convince some, it might not be based in reality, but we convince ourselves of that because most of us are not going to do something stupid, hurtful, painful that we know we're going to regret like in the moment. Like some of y'all, you're good at this whole doing stupid stuff. And so like, you're like, this is going to be stupid, but I'm going to do it anyways. Don't raise your hand. I wasn't pointing anybody out. (laughs) But most of us, we do it before we ever realize it. We're going to regret it. So I, I looked up a definition for regret. And this is what the World Wide Web says regret is. Sorrow aroused by circumstances beyond one's control or power to repair. It's an expression of distressing emotion, 
such as sorrow. When I read that definition, I was like, that don't even come close to regret in the sense of that sounds a little sanitized. Like, oh, you could have regret and like not be affected. But how many know some people that their life has been dominated by a mindset of regret? That they're so stuck in their past and their mistakes and failures and sins and the people they hurt and how they're unworthy and they deserve to be punished and they deserve to be miserable and they could never be happy because of the regrets of their past. I did a a Facebook post this week and apparently we hit a little thread here uh, and this, this series started in Pastor Spirit. He was just like, I regret, like I feel like we need to minister on that and I had like 75 responses in just a couple days of what people, the question was, what are your greatest regrets in life? I said, or if you prefer, because some people aren't willing to admit their regrets, I said, what do you think other people's greatest regrets are? And so the responses were very interesting. Some of them were funny, like Becca, who said, uh, my greatest regret, my tattoo that says no regrets. (laughs) I like that one. Uh, I'm not going to get that tattoo. Uh, Somebody else said, she just said, some of us are going to need to private message you um, because we can't go public with this. And then some of them made you say, oh, I wish I would have said that. Uh, Like my friend Kevin, who I graduated high school with, he said, not appreciating what my high school teachers did for me. I was like, oh, I I, I wish I was that sensitive and nice. Like, I don't remember him being that sensitive and nice in high school, but we'll just go with it. Um, Aaron, he said, I regret not serving my country. I know, you're like, dude, he's a good guy, right? Like, don't you wish you said that? Um, Susie said, anytime I've spoken without kindness, regardless of the situation, including to myself. That's a good regret, right? Like, if there can be a good regret, that's a good one. That, hey, I wish I was kinder to other people and to myself. Some of them were very emotional. Like, this one got me. Christina She said she regrets appreciating my daddy, that she didn't appreciate her daddy more when he was alive. The things I would complain about are the things I crave now. I used to not listen to all of a voicemail because they went on forever. Has anybody got that family member? Yeah. But she says, now I have one saved, a voicemail, the day before he died. And it would crush me if I lost it. Some of y'all are going to start listening to all the voicemails now, aren't you? Jay just said she regrets not loving herself. Isn't it interesting how diverse the regrets are? Some were pretty spiritually centered like Dusty. She said she regrets not living unashamedly for Jesus while she was in high school. She says that's why she's passionate now to help students understand the importance of not waiting until they're older to serve Jesus. Eugenia said she regrets running from the Lord for so long. If I had only found him sooner, I would have made better choices and taken my daughters to church when they were growing up. But I put other things before God and my family. She said, so thankful he forgives and loves us anyway. And then some were just real and vulnerable. Um, Many of you comment on on this thread. Valerie said she regrets allowing fear to control my decisions in the past. I appreciate my journey, but if I could change anything, I would let go of fear earlier in your life, in my life. Anybody relate to that one? Fear? Would have let go of some fear. Just a couple more here. Sarah, she said, there will always be regrets that include substance abuse, neglect of loved ones, 
abortion. Those kind of regrets are the most difficult to address and find personal forgiveness for. The inability to find self-forgiveness often leads to how could anyone, God or otherwise, forgive me? Amber just said she regretted not pursuing a dream. Anybody have that regret? You got some dreams that you want to pursue still. And then Jesus, he said, my biggest regret is not fully taking in and completely appreciating the special times I've had with loved ones, letting little things distract me from the beauty of the big picture. Um, Those are some real regrets, right? The crazy thing about regrets is I could ask 100 people in this room what your regret is, and I could have 100 different responses. The, uh, there's a book written, she was a palliative care nurse, hospice nurse, and so she spends the last 12 weeks of a person's life with them. And after many years of doing this, um, she'd been kind of chronicling what people shared with her, what their regrets were. And so she wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. What do you think is number one? Participation here, you gotta shout loud. Relationship? Heard that from somewhere. Not following their dreams, not being saved, not following your heart. It's good. So some of those connected with some of these. Number one, the top one. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. To Teresa's point of following my dream or following my heart. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She said, Every single man that she was with in their final days, every single man had that regret that they hadn't worked so hard or so much. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Somebody said relationship over here. So, and this is an interesting one. Number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Everybody feeling warm and fuzzy now? (laughs) We all have regret. We all, again, so diverse in what we may regret. So if we want to get to the root issue, because here's the truth for today. God wants you to live free of regret. 100% free of regret. That is God's desire and design for your life. He wants you to live free of regret. And so as I was kind of praying and preparing and reading through some of these Facebook posts, I started to see themes and different things and started to see truth coming about. And I was like, okay, I got my three-point sermon, top three points. Here's the top three things that you need to get free from so that you can live without regret. But the more I got into it, I realized that there's really one root issue of all our regret. There's one big kahuna, if you will, that if we can get free from that, we can live free from regret. Just a quick survey. How many of you in the room want to live 100% free from regret? Just quick survey. If the person next to you is not raising their hand, they're asleep, hit them. Tell them to raise their hand. We all want to live free from regret. We all agree with that, but how do we get there? So here's the big kahuna. What do we need to get free from? We need to get free from the guilt, shame, and condemnation of our past. 
the guilt. Oh my, I'm never going to be able to forget that. I'll never be able to forgive myself. They're never going to forgive me for that. I just feel so guilty. The shame. I'm so ashamed that I did that. can never imagine my children finding out that I did that. I hope my friends at church don't find out I did that. I'm ashamed. And the condemnation. Condemnation, where you literally condemn yourself, like a death row inmate, to death to an eternal separation from God. That's what condemnation is. It's you did wrong, you are wrong, you'll always be wrong, and therefore you can never be in relationship with God. You can never have what we sang about here, peace in your heart. And so if we want to get free, if we want to live with no regrets, we've got to get free from the guilt, shame, and condemnation of our past. Now, the interesting thing about this is that goes for Christians and non-Christians. Because by the end of this, I'm going to pray for both of those groups. I'm hoping that some people, like the 29 people that already have in the last eight days, made a decision to leave their regret in the past and accepted the love of God. I'm hoping some people make that decision today. But there are a lot of Christians. There are many of you in this room that regret has too great of a hold on your life and you are not fulfilling your purpose. You are not allowing God to use you to the extent that he wants to because you don't think you're worthy of being used. And so my goal today is to get everybody, all of us, free of the weight of that guilt, that shame, that condemnation. Now, when you go to the Bible, good thing is the Bible's got a lot to say about this. Um, Not so much, you know what, the word regret, it's only like four or five times in the Bible. But the Bible has a lot to say about grace and about mercy and about the love of God being accepted, being redeemed, being bought back. And so the Bible has a lot to teach us about this. But if there's one character in the Bible, I think, that can teach us the most, it's the Apostle Paul. Because before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a bad dude. He was violent. He was angry. He persecuted Christians. He literally stood by and held the coats of a group of men while they picked up stones off the ground and stoned a man to death because of his faith in Jesus. So when you make the scale of far away from God, thinking Saul kind of sets the standard like far away from God, close to God. Saul was way over here, okay? He was a bad dude. And yet this same guy had an encounter with Jesus, with the love of God, with the grace of God. And this same man who was condemning Christians to die, who stood by and watched a man be stoned, this same man, once he met Jesus, he wrote two thirds of our New Testament two-thirds of our New Testament. He gives us some of the most beautiful passages and verses and truths about grace, about love, about forgiveness, about redemption, because he had experienced those things from God in a very real way. 
Pastor Marion mentioned last weekend that, that story in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it is, where the woman who was a woman of the night, a woman of a sinful woman, and she came and poured perfume on Jesus' feet, and all the religious people were like, well, if he was really the Messiah, he'd know what kind of woman she was, and he wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus said, you don't get it, guys. He said, this woman has been forgiven much, and because she's been forgiven much, she'll love much. But someone who's been forgiven little, they're going to love little. Isn't it beautiful that the more of a sinner you are, the more God's grace gets to show off in your life. The, the bigger of a sinner you are, the more you're going to love others who have been or are where you were. Because the love of God has been, has come alive in your heart. And Paul, he was the goat. He was the greatest of all time when it came to sinners. That's what he says in First Timothy. He says, I was the chief of sinners, the worst of all. And so he can teach us a lot about what it means to get free. How many want to live free? I like, y'all are staying with me. First service, they were a little bit, had a little bit spring break lethargy. So I had to wake them up a little bit. Y'all are already with me. So how many want to live free? Just say yes. yes. I like it. Okay. Let's look at what the Bible has to say here a little bit. Let's see what Paul says a little bit deeper into that passage where he calls himself chief of sinners. Because you and I are here today because of the courage of Paul to receive the love and grace of Jesus. Do you know what a coward is? A coward's going to live in regret. A coward is going to live with the excuse that I can't do it. I can't help people. I can't make a difference. I can't allow God's love to use me to make a difference in their life because I'm too much of a coward to receive the love of God. But courage, ah, courage says, no, no, no. I'm going to take back my power to choose to receive the love of God because God gave me that ability to choose. So because of Paul's courage, you and I are here today hearing about the truth that can set us free. So Paul says in 1 Timothy, every verse I'm gonna read you for the rest of this message, it's all written by the apostle Paul. Just let that sink in. Everything, it's all written by him. This is the truth of the scripture. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, even though I was a once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, some of some y'all think you're bad. Like he don't, totally just trumped your sin. He says, even that was true. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And anybody who knew Paul, they weren't arguing that point. They were like, no, you're right, man. You're the goat. You, you it. Like sinners, like you're it. Nobody was arguing that. And yet it was the love and grace of God. Paul also wrote in Romans 5.20, he said, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In the New Living Translation, I love this, that same verse. It says, but as people sinned more and more. Now, how many of y'all know some people that are really good at that? Like sin and more. How many of you back in the day, you were really good at the sin and thing? Like you might have been the goat back in the day, like back in the hood. Like, like. 
But where sin increased more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. The more you sin, the more God's grace overflows. You think your sin disqualifies you. You think because of your sin, God has rejected you. And God's sitting here looking in the room like, okay, where's the worst sinner? Where's the biggest sinner of all in the room? That's the one I want to pour out of my grace because they're going to love people more. They're going to live into their purpose more, just like Paul did. Paul found love and because of that love, that love changed the world, literally. We're here because of that courage, because he received that. And so some of you, I get it. You've done some bad stuff. Some stupid stuff. In fact, let's survey just real quick again. How many of you done some stupid stuff? Raise your hands. Okay, I don't think anybody was sleeping there. That was good. Because I, I, if you're with somebody, I didn't have to tell you to poke them because you would have been like, you've done stupid stuff. We've all done stupid stuff. I get it. You, you've hurt people. Your bad decisions have hurt some people. You've let some people down. Because of things that you did, you led people further away from Jesus. Maybe you were a Christian and in leadership and you fell in sin. Because of that, some people ran away from God. Maybe like one of the comments there, maybe drugs is in your past. Maybe there's an abortion in your past. Maybe there's a divorce that now as you look back, you took the easy way out. Maybe none of those big things, but maybe you're just jealous all the time. And your jealousy has hurt other people. Maybe like somebody said, first service, maybe your biggest regret is unforgiveness. And you have such a bitterness in your heart that it's hard for you even to recognize grace and love because you're so bitter on the inside. Those are all real things. I'm not diminishing your sin. I'm not diminishing your failures, your mistakes, the hurt that you've caused. I'm not even giving you a free pass to say, oh, that doesn't matter. I'm not doing any of that. What I am doing, I am maximizing. I am amplifying the love of God, the grace of God that can cover over your sins. Those sins deserve to be punished. Those sins I just described, they just, des- do you know what that earns you? Separation from God from all of eternity, damnation, condemnation into hell. That's what we all deserve. But because of Jesus going to a cross, See, the punishment, the consequence of sin had to be satisfied according to the law. And that's why God sent Jesus, his one and only son, who was sinless, who was perfect, who deserved zero punishment. He sent him to the cross because once and for all, all of that punishment, all of that condemnation, all of the condemnation for our failures, our mistakes, our weaknesses, the pain that we've caused in other people's lives, all of the punishment deserved. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he took it all on himself. The weight of the sin of the world with every nail that pierced his body, the spear, the crown of thorns, he took it all for you. 
so if you're living in regret, if you're bound up, weighted down because of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation associated with your past, if you're living with regret, you're saying that the cross, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not enough to cover your sins. Oh, it's good enough for Miss Gwen. It'll cover her sins because, you know, those are little itty bitty sins. It'll cover her sins. It's good enough for Teresa because she's a pretty nice person. And of course, the blood of Jesus can cover her sins. But me, man, you don't know what I did. You don't know how many people I hurt. You don't know the secret sins that have plagued me for my entire life. And if you have any of those thoughts, you're literally waving a finger in the face of God saying, the cross was not enough. Jesus's sacrifice was not enough. And it's not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell. He's enough. His love is enough. The cross was enough, but you have to choose to receive that. Nobody else can do that for you. You have to make a choice to stop punishing yourself. Stop beating yourself up and receive the love of God. Let me read you something else Paul wrote here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I mentioned earlier that regret, that word only comes up five or six times in the Bible. Guess who talks about it more than anybody else? The Apostle Paul. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. See, now he's on the other side. Now he's preaching the gospel and he wrote a letter that convicted him of their sin and it made him sorry. Sorry, Paul, we sinned a little bit. Paul says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from, from us in nothing. Listen to this verse, for godly sorrow produces repentance. Could you all say that word, repentance? For godly sorrow, godly regret, see, there is a good kind of regret. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. God doesn't want you to be sorry for your sin. This this is what sorry looks like. This is me. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm, I'm good at sinning. I'm, I'm, I'm doing. I'm sinning. Oh no, I feel bad. I'm sorry, God. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. I'm sinning. Still doing. Oh, I'm sorry, God. And then I keep on going. Sorry never changed anybody. Can I get some married couples to say amen on that? So, sorry never changed it. Don't tell your wife you're sorry. Change some stuff. I was free right there. Wives, you can tip me later. Repentance. 
I'm sinning, I'm sinning, I'm sinning, I'm enjoying it. It's good, I like it, sinning, sinning, sinning. Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin. Condemnation, see, condemnation says you're bad, you're evil, you're going to hell. Good luck with that, but it gives you no hope. Conviction, sinning, 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 conviction. The Holy Spirit pierces my heart. I realize the error of my ways. I realize that what I am doing is wrong. I realize that in the end, the way that I'm going is going to lead to death, to destruction, to pain, to hurting the people I love. To not peace and joy, but to heartache and pain. And so my spirit is convicted and the Holy Spirit shines light on that. And then I say, I have godly sorrow, which leads me to repentance. And repentance means I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my direction and I'm going to change my behavior. So now I'm living for God. I'm reading the word. I'm attending church. I'm renewing my mind by the, the reading of the word. I'm becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that's a lot different than sin and sin and sin and sorry. Conviction will change you. See, regret will leave you in the pain and the heartache, the sorrow of the past. Regret will leave you condemned because of your sins. But conviction by the Holy Spirit will lead you into the light, lead you into a new life. And that is the choice that every single one of us can make to receive the grace of God, the love of God. Paul wrote Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to be separated from God. You don't have to be punished because Jesus at the cross, what was Jesus' last words? It is finished. It's a finished work. You don't have to clean yourself up, make yourself good enough. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to pay for your sins. Some of you, that's what you're doing. You feel like you gotta, you gotta pay for your sin. You feel like you gotta be miserable. You don't deserve to be happy. But that's not how our good, good father sees you. Oh, how he loves us. He's jealous for us. He didn't go to the cross because you were good. He, he went to the cross because you're his. Because he loves you, because he wants to redeem you, to buy you back. And see, the devil, every time you do something wrong, is putting that guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. And God says, I went to the cross so that never affects you again. But you have to believe that and you have to receive that. There is no condemnation. Look look at somebody just say, no condemnation. So if you've been, and and many of us in this room are good at this, again, Christians and non-Christians, we punish ourselves. Let's just be transparent and real here. How many are really good at punishing yourself for your mistakes, your sin, your failure? Yeah, just about most of the room. God sent me with a gentle, loving reminder for you. Stop it! Wow, that, that was cool. That was a first. There was an echo on that. That was fun. I might have to do that again. Fair warning. Stop it. The cross is enough. Quit shaking a finger in the face of God saying it wasn't. Quit being a coward because you refuse to have the courage to receive that grace and that love. 
I mean, all you got to do is just say, hey, I'm here, I'm willing to receive. But that takes courage because you know what? Sometimes it's easier to play the victim. We live in a society in which you are encouraged to play the victim. Woe is me. Grew up in the wrong place. My parents did this. My parents did that. I didn't get the education. It's their fault. I'm going to point fingers of blame at everybody else, but I'm not going to take responsibility. And pointing fingers and playing the victim means you're going to stay in this coward-like state instead of having the courage to take back your power, receive the love of God that he has for you, and live into the new life for which he created you. That's your choice. That is your opportunity today. But only you can choose that. So I, I'm going to been talking a good bit to the group of people in the room or watching online who you've never done that. You've never let go of those regrets. You never thought yourself worthy to receive the love of God. I'm going to pray for them. But can I talk to the Christians in the room for a second? God has a purpose for your life. He created you. You're you're his masterpiece, the Bible says. And he created you as a masterpiece with an assignment, with good works that you're supposed to accomplish, is what the Bible talks about. And some of you have been disqualifying yourself from doing those things. Stop it! It didn't echo that time. Stop it. Step into your purpose. Be who he called you to be. Do what he called you to do. Do not disqualify yourself. Do not act like you have to be good enough, earn it, deserve it. There's people who are going to hell and you're going to be the one that leads them to life, leads them to hope, leads them to grace. Because some of y'all, man, you were good at that sinning thing, but now you're living for Jesus. And it's real and that's undeniable. Nobody can deny the power of a transformed life. It's undeniable. There's some of you in this room, I could point you out and the stories that you have are undeniable in the transformation that has happened. And there's power in that, that I don't have in my story in the the same way that you have in your story. So live into that. Like Tyler, you're doing it. Live into that. Like you got power in your story that a whole lot of other people don't have. I got different power, but you got a particular power that God can use that in ways that nobody else can. So live into your story. Ma'am, I don't, really know you. You're sitting right there in the black shirt. Um, But I just felt like God wanted just to encourage you that like he still has purpose for your life. Like, I think there's times when you maybe feel forgotten and like, oh, God forgot me. He forgot the dreams. He forgot the promises he made me that, you know, we prayed about and we talked about like, oh God. And so you have some regrets associated with that. And God just, I feel like he wanted me to just tell you this, that he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten the dreams, the promises that he made you. And if it hasn't happened yet, he just wants you to know he's not done. So don't let go of those things and realize that it might look a little different than you're thinking, but it's still going to impact a whole lot of people. Your story, your life, you're still going to impact a whole lot of people. So there's, there's purpose on your life. And God just wanted you to hear that. So hopefully that encourages you. You're smiling, so that's good. Sometimes God will just, he'll do that to you too, you know, like on the sidewalk and grocery store, he'll just be like, hey, tell this person. You, you've had that moment, right? Like you felt like I was supposed to say something and you didn't. I was supposed to call that person. That's all I was doing. I was just encouraging her. 
but I could say similar to every single one of you, you have purpose and calling on your life. Don't disqualify yourself from it. So let me talk to that other group in the room or watching online who you've done that. You've never, you're living with so much regret, guilt, shame, and condemnation from your past. You've never received the love of Jesus. Today's your day. You can walk out of regret. You can walk away from the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation of your past if you choose it. Because the love of God is chasing you down. He is jealously pursuing you and he won't back up. He will not relent in his pursuit of you. And all he's doing is saying, hey, just position yourself with open hands, open arms, release all that negative junk and receive all that I have for you. You are loved, you're accepted just as you are. You don't have to be anything that somebody else told you you had to be. You don't even have to be that version of who you think you have to be. Right where you're at, just as you are, you are loved. Just as you are, you have purpose and calling on your life, but you just have to have enough faith, like a mustard seed, just little itty bitty faith to believe that and to receive that.